Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, brand worn by John McEnroe, Vitas Gerolitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com. Diodora, the brand made famous by Bjorn Borg and currently worn by world number 28, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, is the official shoe of the podcast. See them at Diodora.com. Today's guest was born in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and in 2000 got to six in the world. He semi the 1999 Australian Open. He reached the quarters of Wimbledon in 2002, and he's beaten world number ones, Kafelnikov, Quirton, and Moya, to name a few. Still prominent in South American tennis, he is promoting the match between Rafa and Casper Ruud in Quito, Ecuador on November 27th. Nicholas Lapenti is today's guest. So, you live close to here? Yeah. Did you ever play this challenger? Yeah. But I never played on this club. I played on the... Original. On the, on the main side. The original city, uh-huh. the, the, the famous club. Yeah, on, uh, on downtown. How'd you do in the tournament? I won it twice. How old were you? I won it in 2007 and 2009, so that's uh, 31 and 33. Oh, you played it as, like, towards the end of your Towards the end, yeah. Yeah, because uh, at the beginning, it, it was, like, the same date as Paris, Bercy, and all these indoor tournaments. So, so you never played it coming up. You played it at the end. I did. I did coming up, but it was a different, um, different organizers. Uh, we used to have. Uh, I played it maybe twice in Guayaquil, but it was not Andres and Luis. Gentlemen, you hear former world number six. He is. He just spilled the beans. We're in Guayaquil, Ecuador, at the Guayaquil Tennis Club. Um, we are here um, attending the Guayaquil Challenger, uh, a very cool experience. And we are literally sitting upstairs in the Guayaquil Tennis Club overlooking uh, the courts uh, Cancha Dos y Tres. And that's my man, Nicholas Lapenti. It's nice to see you, man. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to to talk to you and especially to do it here live in my hometown in my home club it's uh it's really fun this is the best thing ever now as you know we do a five set format the first set is the off the court report so first and foremost you are bringing rafa and rude yeah to quito exactly and that's coming up shortly Mm -hmm. tell me about that well that's uh that's uh, the 27th of November, so we were almost three three weeks ago, and uh, that's uh, something that for me, just not as a as a promoter or organizer, just as a, as a tennis fan, it's just something incredible that this can happen here in Ecuador. Now, how does that happen? You call Rafa? No. Well, I had uh, three years ago. We had Federer and Zverev. Uh, so when Federer as well did the LATAM tour, I did the exhibition in Quito. So once that was finished, I called Carlos Costa, which is uh, uh, Rafa's manager, and uh, we started talking about. Then of course pandemic hit us, and everything we put everything on standby. And then last November we started talking again, saying, "Listen, we have to make this happen." 
And, uh, you know, of course, we all know, and I knew that Rafa is probably his last uh, year or last few years. And so it was, it was the, I think, the right time to do it. And uh, we've been working since. Now, tell me, now how much do you have to pay Rafa? It's 2.5. 2.5 million. And how much does Rude get? Oh, <laughs> that's, uh, we had a good deal of Rude. Uh, but I mean, I, I'm saying about Rafa because this came up public, but uh, with Rude, I cannot say. You can't say yeah. how much Rude gets. Yeah. Now, th- that means you're the promoter. Mm-hmm. You're like a boxing promoter, but you're tennis. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing everything. I mean, I, I, I own the event, uh, and uh, I'm the promoter. And I, 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 I go out and look for sponsors, and I organize all the logistics and uh, putting down the stadium. Is, uh, we, we do it in a big basketball stadium, so we have to set, set up the court. So, so, you're not, so you're not like one of these fake tournament directors no, that no, they no. say is the tournament director, but he's not really the tournament I, I, director. I, I get on the dirt, man. I, I, I do everything. You do everything? I do everything. And I, and I like to take care of everything. I, I'm very bad on, uh, how you say, the... Delegating. Delegating. I'm horrible on that. So that takes a lot of time out of me, but I prefer to do it that way. Do these events you've done take all year to do, or do you do other things? Yeah, I do other things. For example, two weeks ago, I did the Challenger in Ambato, which is a, a city uh, close to Quito. Uh, and I do other things uh, during the year, but this definitely takes a, a lot of time. A lot of time. A lot of effort. And now, that, now, so you'll have the event November 27th. What happens to you for the rest of the year? You just relax with the family? What do you do? No, I, in, in my day-to-day, uh, I have a TV production company. And uh, what we do, uh, uh, we do mostly, we broadcast soccer, the National Lost Soccer League, which is called Liga Pro. Uh, and we do that kind of stuff. And then I do events. Uh, I, I play some exhibitions, uh, which I organize myself. I played with David Navandian in early June. Uh, we played in, in Guayaquil and Quito, and then I do the challengers, and then I have this big event. And then I do another things always related with, uh, with events. I, I have done some uh, things with music. Uh, uh, You're in the promotions business. You're yeah. bringing cool stuff to yeah, Ecuador. Exactly. I'm trying to do that. Now, Guayaquil right now is under a curfew. There's some political. There's some unrest. Is that a scary thing for you? Well, it's uh, it is a bit. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, the event is gonna is gonna happen in Quito, which is uh, a city or the province is not under curfew, but uh, you have to be on top of it and, and, and be ready to to see what's going to happen. Let's move into the second set. This is the on the court report. Do you still watch pro tennis? It sounds like you do. Well, I I wasn't watching that much, but then since uh, January last year, so January 2021, I started uh, commentating for ESPN Latin America. So since that, I've been, of course. Uh, watching a lot of tennis because I'm commentating, but also because I want to to get to know all these young players that uh, that when I'm doing one of his matches, I, I need to know how they play, what are they doing. So, of course, uh, the last couple of years I've been a bit more involved in, in watching tennis. Now, where were you when Roger stopped? 
uh, I was here actually. I was uh, in Ecuador. I was at home, and oh, that was huge, man. I have uh, I have a couple of friends that were on the stadium, and they were texting texting me and saying, "I have never seen in my whole life a whole stadium crying," and. Uh, and it wasn't even, it wasn't even, uh, it was an EXO. It's yeah. a labor cup. Yeah, it was, it was it, like it, incredible. It, it was crazy, but that's, that's what, uh, that's what Roger uh, did to the tennis world. Did uh, you he, know him? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I, I, I got to play against him. We, we actually played doubles together once. We played doubles together in, uh, in Halle in 2000. Really? When uh, when I was still better than him, <laughs> he was coming in up. Two thousand, you were six. Yeah, two thousand, I was I was up there, and he was probably number thirty in the world already, and he was coming up. So there was this uh, this young kid from Switzerland playing great tennis, and so we played we played doubles once, and I mean, Roger was. Uh, what was it like to be on the court with him then? Uh, I mean, Roger was awesome in all in all aspects. I mean, he was great on the court. He was great off the court. He was unbelievable in the locker room, you know, used to hang out and, and be funny and, and, and do jokes. Uh, he loved soccer, so we, we talk about soccer. And uh, uh, he was, I mean, he was all, all class. And then, of course, what he did to, to the tennis world, it was just amazing. Uh, you know, I don't think no one, no one will ever match what he did. Now... Did you ever play him in singles? Yeah, I played him four times. Uh, I never beat him. I, 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 never beat him. No, I never. I never won a set actually. Uh, never won a set. No, and uh, it was just uh, you know those kind of players where you you would play a good shot and just uh, just a better shot would come every would time. Come back. Yeah, I was. It was very difficult to find uh, to find a weak spot. What were your? What are your? Um, observations of Carlitos Alcaraz? Well, I think Alcaraz, uh, he's got everything, definitely. Uh, you know, to be to be 19 and and to play at the level he's playing, uh, mo- mostly mostly up here, mostly, mostly on the head, you know, to, to, to play under that pressure and to perform that well, that's awesome. So, so the, the big question is, will he be able to win as many Grand Slams as all these three guys, it's, it's going to be all about his health. Is he going to be able to stay healthy the next 15, 18 years? But isn't we, that what tennis has become? It's we, like who the healthiest guys are, the guy, you know. We, we would never know. Will he be able to stay strong mentally for the next 15 years? It's crazy, but uh, we, we will see. We'll have to talk again in ten years and see how how when, it's going. When you guys, when you talk to Jose Luis Clerk and some of these other guys that you're broadcasting with, what do you say about the way he strikes the ball, the way he hits a drop shot? I mean, are you guys? Is it is it impressive to you the way yeah. he plays? Yeah. What we say is that uh, if you see, if if you can compare Alcaraz to Nadal uh, when they were both 19. Alcaraz is much better in many different things. He serves better. Uh, the Rafa. The Rafa. Uh, from the baseline, uh, he's a bit more aggressive. Rafa uh, was very defensive when he was 19. Then he started improving a lot and, and tried to get more aggressive. 
and uh, they move pretty similar. The when when they have to defend, that they are very good at both of them. And uh, coming up to the net, Alcaraz is much better than what Rafa was at 19. So, in many ways, Alcaraz is better. But then Nadal has this thing that it's just he's the best at. He's in competing and how strong he is in his head. So every point, every single point, every single week, for the past 20 years. So <laughs> just to say that out loud is so uh, crazy, it's right? At least 20 years. I, I played Rafa. 2003. Okay, so... Where? In Borstad. In Borstad. Borstad. The first time we played, Rafa was 17. Uh, I beat him 7-6 in the third. I saved four match points. Uh, so it was this junkie baby face with huge arms, fighting like a bull. And uh, so that's already almost 20 years ago. So, I mean, he's been 20 years on tour. It's unbelievable. So, so that that's the thing that that amazes me the most. You know, how is, is Alcaraz going to be able to stay ten years on the top? Rafa, I think Rafa hasn't hasn't left top ten in the past twenty years or something. So, <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. 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 Casper um, Rude. A lot of people feel like you know, you know, he 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 finaled two majors this year. No one's even talking about. Yeah him at all have you uh, what do you think of his quality well he's uh do you know his father yeah i played against his father i played against christian uh well first of all he's uh they say the father's an animal is that true yeah he was an animal he was running like an animal fighting but but he was more more robotic no casper is more more talented so i think i think casper uh, he has a great game, of course. Very solid, very solid on all aspects. But uh, maybe the way he is, he's very quiet. He's very, you know, low profile. So that's maybe why people are not talking too much about him. But uh, you don't want to have him in, in your side of the draw. I mean, you want to have him uh, very far away because he's, uh, he's, he's, he's had a great year. They say that his ball is the heaviest ball there is on tour. It could be. It could be. I mean, I, I will have to. But it seems like Rafa dismantled him at the French, and yeah. then Alcaraz. People thought that maybe he was tired. They went four sets, but it was pretty convincing victory for Carlitos by the end. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, you know, I, I, I. When they were playing the finals, we already knew that uh, he was going to be Rafa's rival in the Latin American tour. So actually, I was cheering for for Casper because if Casper wins that finals, he was he was he will become world number one. And it's better for your and it was uh, program for, for everything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I had two set points in the third set. Sure did. And one of them, Alcaraz, used hit a forehand volley on the stretch. I mean, not an easy volley. So, you know, he, he lost in four sets, like you say, it was convincing, but... He was Rude, right there. Ruth could have been two sets to one up. He was right there. And Yeah, I made a mistake, actually. He was yeah, right there. Yeah, and, and if, if, if we would have gone two sets up, two sets to one up in, uh, in the finals, I mean, I, I, nobody can say that he, he would have won, but uh, you never know. Have you watched Holger Rune play? Actually, I did one of his matches last week in Basel. Uh, I was I, two matches, and I was impressed because everybody's talking about his power, 
but I liked I liked uh, because uh, he hit some slices. He could hit some uh, some top spin high balls. He would come to the net and and ball it decently. He seems super athletic to me. And he, he he could hit some drop shots. So, I mean, of course, he has so much room to improve. But uh, I like that he was trying to do all these different things. You know, you mentioned uh, Sasha Zverev um, that you worked with him in these exos. Have you kept your eye on the ATP's uh, investigation that he is in the middle of? No, I mean something about uh, ex-girlfriend. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I read, I read something in the newspaper, but I, I haven't gone uh, deep on it. What is your feeling about the health of the ATP? In one, in what, uh, what aspect? Well, I mean, Rafa is close to finishing. Okay. Federer is done. Novak has, you know, been somewhat polarizing, and mm-hmm. the, the 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 tour seems to kind of, you know, be lacking in some big stars. People don't seem yeah. to know there. What do you just in general? What do you think about the tour at the moment? Two years ago, when already things, uh, uh, all, all this talk started, uh, I, I, I thought uh, it was going to hurt a lot ATP. Now... Uh, you thought I, that when, when Fed was going to stop? Yeah, maybe two years ago, because, uh, you know, already Fed being 39 and all the guys already 34 or 35. COVID came. And, uh, but, uh, but now, of course, the, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get hurt because, you know, this, the big three or the big four uh, it's been, it has given so much to tennis. But now I think, you know, uh, with uh, Zverev, Medvedev, Dominic Thiem, uh, Ojeda Aliasim, Shapovalov, Tsitsipas, uh, maybe I'm missing someone else. And then, of course, uh, uh, Alcaraz and Rune. Uh, you know, you have, you have some new kids. You have some new kids on the block. And uh, you've got Alcaraz, which has kind of exploded the last year or so. So we always have new guys coming. How have you felt about Gaudenzi's leadership? Actually, I, I last Sunday, I presented to be member of the board uh, for the second time. In 2019, I... I you, were, I, you interviewed to be on the board yeah. of the ATP. Uh-huh. I, for I, South America or for the whole... Just for the, Americas. For the Americas. Yeah, and... Uh, and uh, you remember Weather Evans? Of course. Okay, so in 2019, in May, uh, the player council voted, and Weather and I, uh, we had a tie, 5 all. So it's 10 council members to be part of the board. We came back in Wimbledon. You tied with Weller. With the Weller. We came back in Wimbledon. For our listeners, Weller Evans, long-time uh, tour manager of the ATP. For most, generally speaking, of a beloved well-liked guy on the tour. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. So Continue. then, and then we came back in Wimbledon uh, for the new election and, and we tied again. 5-0. So we, we couldn't have a, uh, a different election. Then we came back in Paris, Bercy. Uh, I don't know why uh, we had uh, different guys that could come into the elections and then Mark knows from the Bahamas he ended up winning. So Mark, uh, Mark, I assume a friend of yours. Yeah. Friendly great, at least. Great guy. Yeah, yeah. Best great guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. Great guy, Mark. He's been on the show. Friend of the show. And, and he's been doing a great job uh, as a board member. 
So the, the, the terms is three years. So now to start in January, uh, they open up a fourth, fourth spot. So I participated to be part of this fourth spot. And, uh, and Pablo Andujar ended up having it. So Pablo Andujar is, uh, is a board member now. So, Andujar beat you. Yeah, again. Be, be with me and some other guys. You know, we, were, yeah. we were six. Six guys who we presented to the player council uh, via Zoom online. Uh, so, so I was really uh, interested in being a board member. And uh, I said this because of your question. I think, I think Gaudenzi uh, has done a great job. Uh, he's got this uh, one vision thing that uh, is a project where phase, one vision, yeah, it's called one vision, uh, where phase one is being approved and they are trying to approve phase two. And one of the things he's looking for on phase two that is going to be very difficult is to get WTA, ITF, ATP plus the four Grand Slams to be one and go and and and, and sell. Uh, partnerships and sponsors as one together together like NFL does like uh, Major League Baseball like all these other big uh, entities in sport because uh, he thinks and I, I agree you're going to have much more power to negotiate so I mean that, that, that was something uh, very challenging that I wanted to be part of but uh, I'm not well, why does one want to get onto that board? Is it because is it is it for selfish reasons to be more powerful for your exhibitions and your work, or or you just simply want to stay involved in pro tennis? Actually, why I I wanted to do this is because uh, it's been uh, maybe twenty something years since someone from South America has been part of the board. Okay, so I think it was the right time to have a Spanish-speaking person on the board, and of course, taking care of this part of the world. There's so many guys, Argentinians, Chileans, uh, Peru, Ecuador, that they feel that they're left apart. So I wanted to to get on the board and kind that they're of, left out, yeah, that they're not yeah, being represented. Yeah, because most of these guys, like for example, Justin Gimoso was part of the board for ten or twelve years. He doesn't speak Spanish, so some of these guys they felt like. They, they didn't have anyone that could approach and say, listen, this is what's happening on the challengers. This is what's happening on the future circuit. Uh, so that was the main reason at the beginning. And then when you start, being, when you start to understand how it works, being part of the, of the board is very important because that, that's where you make the decisions. And, and I felt like you know, being an ex-player and knowing uh, how it works being a player and then how it works being on the other side, you know, being a promoter, I was president of the Colorado Tennis Federation. And then, uh, you know, you kind of understand the other side. So that, that's, that's, that's the main reason why I wanted to be part of that. No, well, will you, will you try again? Yeah, sure. Three years later. In three he's years smiling, time. he's smiling. In but three he, years time. Yeah, well, I'm a fighter, man. Do, I'll, I'll be there. Do the losses hurt? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Really? Of course, yeah. I wanted to win, but uh, you know, when uh, when you're a tennis player, you you learn how to lose. You lose almost every week, so that's part of the game. You lose almost every week. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. Does your tennis begin right here, Guayaquil? My tennis began right here in Guayaquil, not 
at the club where we're sitting, but uh, the club on downtown. The original downtown Guayaquil yeah. Tennis Club. Yeah, we call it we call it the Guayaquil Tennis Club, Sede Centro, which means right in the center of the town. And this is the annexo, which is it was the newer newer site. So this this only this was built probably when I was 18 or 19, but since I started playing tennis at six, so from six to 18, the other club was my my I, I was going to say second house, but it was my first house. Stay there all the time. Every single day. Every day. All day, all night. All day, all night, and weekends from the, the earliest I could get uh, till the latest I could be there. And you're the Andres Gomez is your is your uncle? Yeah, Andres is uh we say it in Spanish he's like uh, uncle in second or third grade. Okay, so uh, his his dad was my grandfather's cousin. Okay? So we are related a little bit yeah. related. But more than that relationship is is more what uh, where we where we became friends, you know, and well, first of course he was he's he was my idol, my idol, and I still say that he still is my idol because he's such a humble person, and uh, I just admire him, all what he did, and uh, he's just amazing. And then I had, uh, I felt the luckiest person in the world that being only 15, I was on the Davis Cup team with him. Uh, Hang on a second. So you, you, you're six years old. You're and you is in this Viver relative to no. Okay. No, he's not, but he's uh, <laughs> like he was. I call him cousin. Cousin. <laughs> yeah. You call him cousin. I call him cousin. Primo. He's yeah, primo. So uh, he's he he was my coach. He was my Davis Cup captain for ever, forever. And, and you're the longest. You're the most winningest, longest member of the Davis Cup team. Forever, yes. Yeah. But how did you get good? Just 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 grinding down here. Yeah, I mean, I my father started, uh, you know, he took me to the tennis courts and uh, and then when I was maybe seven or eight, I got into the tennis school at the, at the Wakey Tennis Club. Started, started playing tournaments and then I just liked it. And I was very, I was very, since I was a kid, I was a high worker. So I was staying there longer than anyone. I was I would hit the wall for hours. Whoa. Uh, I would play with uh, all the guys. I would play with anyone. I would play with anyone. But you got really good, man. And did now did you you won the Orange Bowl? Mm-hmm. Did was was that a surprise, or were you already like becoming very dominant player? No, in- I, I I was very good at juniors that year. Uh, actually. Uh, in uh, 93 which was uh, the year 14 be- years old no in 93 I was 17 sorry yeah so it was the year before my last junior year I started playing some uh, satellites and some challengers and I was already 330 in the world at 14 years old no at 17 Seven, sorry 17, 17 years old yeah. you were 230 and then at that time it they were telling you it was important to play juniors because if you did it good at juniors, you could get some sponsorships, rackets, uh, clothing. So I said, okay. So 94, I didn't play any pro and I played juniors. So I, I lost all my points and I was already 330, so we, which was pretty good. And, uh, and that year I did, I did pretty good in juniors. So, so I, I won a few tournaments. I had the semis at French Open, semis US Open. 
I, I, I won doubles with Guga at the French Open. I won doubles US Open with Ben Elwood from Australia. And then at the, at the, at the Orange Bowl, I beat Guga in the finals. And, uh, and with Guga, we played the doubles finals and we lost. And if we would have won, I would have ended number one in doubles. So that year, I finished number two in singles and doubles for juniors. So I was, I was a good junior. And when did Patricio Ape sign you? When did you know you were going to be a pro player? I, I signed with Dickie Dell. Dickie Dell? Yeah. I signed Donald with... Dell's brother. Yeah. Dickie Dell was... Pro under... serve. Pro serve. That's right. So I signed with actually. Sorry, you were gonna say something. Dicky Dell was what? Yeah, I I signed I signed with Dicky Dell uh, after the U.S. Open Juniors '94. Uh, I signed a two-year deal, and that's when I decided that I wanted to play professional tennis. And that deal had money. Uh, actually, no. That that deal had just they were gonna represent me for two years and try to get me some wild cards, try to get me some sponsorships. Some so deals. when that happens, they say, "Listen, we're gonna wild card you into Washington D.C. We're gonna wild the, the, the tournaments, get you a, a, a clothing deal, racket deal, and all this stuff." But that happened after you won the Orange Bowl. No, that was before. Sorry. That was before. That was in September '94. So Orange Bowl, I won in December. Uh, and then the, the year after, 95, I wore on my first tour event in Bogota. And in the, I, in I, the I, altitude. In the altitude, yeah. And Who'd I, you beat? I beat Miguel Tobon from Colombia. Oh, you did? Yeah. He yeah. got in a lot of trouble, I think, Tobon. Yeah. We won't he, he use was. it. He, he, he was. He was. <laughs> I mean, he, luckily, he, I mean, it wasn't his fault. He got out very quick. And... Uh, uh, so, so that that transition from junior to professional that was really fast. I played, I played some satellites, I played some challengers, and then I won. I won Bogota, and then already '96 I got into the Australian Open main draw. So that was really quick. So you, when do you remember when you got to the top hundred? Uh, yeah, it was '96. Uh, uh, maybe maybe first first three four months of '96. So you went. You were in the top hundred from '96 to to when? I mean, I probably to the end of my career. I had I had some some a few times. I, I went outside top hundred, and then in 2004, I had probably the worst injury of my career. I had a, a tendonitis in my Achilles tendon, and that that had me out for almost four months. So I dropped out out of the 200. So I, I, I had to start playing challengers again. Uh, that's 2004. And, but then I came back quite fast. And, and I, stayed, I stayed top 100 most of the time till the end of my career. So you, fin- you finished most around 2011, you say you finished? Yeah, much- I, I, quit, I quit 2010. I retired. You stopped? Yeah. Um, was there was there a moment or a match where you were like, oh, I could be top ten? I could be. Was there a moment where you're like, oh, if I I could, I could do really well? I had I had some great matches that uh, gave me that that thinking or that confidence, but uh, it wasn't till '99 uh, Australian Open that I did I, I got to the semis. And I, I was so strong physically that, that that I knew I could beat anyone in a long in a long match. 
Uh, How had you gotten into that kind of shape? I just worked my ass off in December '98. I had the best preseason training ever in Chile. Why? In Chile, because Pato Rodriguez, ah. uh, my ex-coach, he was from Chile, and we hired a new coach, Carlos Aranda, and I was working like an animal. So I got to Australia and I played the uh, first three matches. I had. Uh, did you? Sorry, did you always do that? Did you always go to Chile for the I, off-season? I, I did. I did a few times, not all the time, but uh, I did it a few times. Uh, it's funny a lot of times on my show I talk to Tim Mayotte I, I ask that question quite often where I say well the year you were your best what was the difference and almost every player says I got myself into the best shape of my life you know what happens I mean I could have done it here you know? but uh, when you're home you always have distractions you have friends, you have family, it's the off season, it's close to Christmas and you have a dinner, you have a, a lunch and your friends and you eat and, and maybe you have a girlfriend and you go out and it's not the same. It's never the same. So if you go away, you have no distractions, you know, you know very few people, you, you eat at home and you, work. and you rest and you work and you rest and you work and you rest. So, so you got yourself into supreme shape. Yeah. And, and then I, I had some great wins. Sorry, you said that you had you felt like you were playing well. Yeah, and then that, that's, that's in, in Australia. Australia, I got to the I got to the semis. I I won four or five set matches, and, <sighs> and then I lost to Enquist in the semis. Enquist was playing amazing. I was of course a bit tired, but uh, he was just hitting the ball so hard. And uh, I, I I got to to Australia being the. 91st player in the world and uh, I got out of Australia being a top 50 player and you went uh, up 40 spots yeah so and then and then you would ask me what's the difference I mean what were you doing different before going to Australia or after Australia and it's, it's nothing it's just it's just your head isn't it true that when you're fit you're more confident anyway because you know that nobody can do anything to you. That's that's one thing. And then when, when you get to a semis of a Grand Slam, it's just like the chip just changes in your head and, and, and you just know. It's not that you think or you believe. It's you just know that you can be there. I mean, you have done it. And I mean, the, uh, nowadays, sometimes I'm, I'm broadcasting or I'm commentating a, a Grand Slam and it's the semis over Australian Open, and you see all these huge players. I say, Jesus, I, I mean, I was there, you know. So that 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 what changes in your in your head. So next time you you walk into a to a tennis match, you just know you can do it. And of course, your rivals, of course, they respect you more. So everything, every that that all helps, you know, to to make the big step. Why did I think that you were with Patricio? I think I after. Okay, yeah, you, yeah. So, you so, because, so for because, our listeners, because, Patricio Ape. One of the most well-known agents, he had Gabriella Sabatini, I believe. He made her a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They made a lot of money for each other. But he was very – he's Argentine. Or he's, Chilean. Oh, sorry, he's Chilean. Yeah. And he is very prominent with South American players. He also was uh, Sasha Zverev's agent and had to – Andy Murray, Sasha, Tsitsipas. But he had a big issue with – Zverev, uh-huh. when Zverev left to go to Team Eight, Rogers' company, and he's no longer with with him with with Team Eight either. Sorry. Yeah. So Patricio, uh, 
if I'm not mistaken, he worked for ProServe. Correct. But then you remember that ProServe uh, was bought by Marquis, I think. And then there was this company called SFX that bought the... So ProServe ended up being one of these two companies, either Marquis or, or SS, SFX or whatever. I remember that. And then Patricio worked for these companies. And then Patricio... Uh, just uh, did his own company, Ace, Ace Group, I think it was called. And, uh, so that's when I when I was with him. But, but this was already, uh, I signed with ProServe in 94, and I signed with Patricio maybe 97, 98. But I'm saying you had your best results with you were with Patricio. In 99, you get to, those, you get to the semis of mm-hmm. Wimbledon, the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Then 2000, out of nowhere, I think you and Nalbandian. Both, 2002. Sorry, 2002. Yeah, we had quarters of Wimbledon. You and Nalbandian, two South Americans. Three South Americans in the quarters. Andres Sa from Brazil. And Andres Sa, that's right. He was on my show too. Mm-hmm. They slowed down the course. <laughs> I mean, actually, it was faster at that time than now. And and I when I was when I played uh, at Wimbledon, I did quarters. I was serving and bowling. 90% of the times on my first serve. And I could say that I was serving in Bali probably 50% of the time on my second serve. But no one would ever expect that an Ecuadoriano yeah. could uh, play well on that grass. You know what happened? But uh, I think, that, let me just say, is it true, though, that you were a good player similar to... Because Andres always said that he got really good playing doubles... You know, learning to play indoor, serving and volleying. Do you have you had you clearly had those skills, or they had slowed they slowed it way down? Yeah, I, I love playing doubles as well, but I think what helped me a lot for grass. You know, for us as South Americans, we, we do a, a great effort uh, on the clay court season pre- previous to Roland Garros. So once Roland Garros is done. We want to take our time off. So we don't play much grass. I mean, sometimes we go straight to Wimbledon, but sometimes we play one tournament. Before. Well, they always just said you guys always just went straight to Wimbledon to pick up the check. That's what they say. But then so, sometimes you play one tournament before, and that's it. So how many matches you play on grass during the year? Sometimes two, sometimes one, sometimes three. Okay, so that's nothing. So in, in 2000, uh, we played uh, we played Davis Cup against Great Britain at Wimbledon. That we won that Davis Cup with my brother. Uh, Who'd you beat? We beat Henman, Ruseski, and Arvin Parma on court one. Court one at Wimbledon. And court one at Wimbledon. That's a great win. So that was that was 2000. So how'd that happen? That was some, that was crazy. I, I will get to that. <laughs> So, uh, in preparation to that to that Davis Cup, which was the week after Wimbledon, I played five weeks on grass. Okay, so I played the whole grass season. I played mixed doubles. Wait, did you beat Henman? At- no, I lost to Henman. I beat Ruseski. That's an incredible win, though. Yeah, yeah. I beat Ruseski the first day in five sets. So you had to have that confidence. Yeah, and then with my brother, we beat uh, Henman and Parmar on doubles, straight sets. Uh, Ruseski didn't play the doubles for the last match, and then Henman beat me in straight sets. I mean, Henman was so tough on grass. And then my brother uh, beat Parmar uh, from losing two sets to lockdown. 
in the in the in the in the in the in the, in the, in the, in the fifth rubber, fifth the, rubber. The, the dead rubber. Yeah. Sorry, not the dead rubber. The the last rubber. The, the fifth, last fifth rubber. Match, yeah. So he was losing to Sesudov and he ended up winning. So that that Davis Cup, I ended up playing five or six weeks straight on grass, and that uh, helped me understand how to move on grass. So once I understood how to move on grass, then I became a much better player. You play with the spikes. Yeah. But you, you, what's what's the difference to like when you when you say you learn to move on grass? What does that mean? Because on grass you cannot run like you're running on a clay court or a hard court. You have to run with smaller steps, uh, and, and then you and then you you slip and you fall and then and you can you cannot run just the way we run. You have to run different. It's completely different. You have to stay low, and uh, so for those five weeks. I learned how to move. And you got better. I, I learned how to, to move with, with uh, smaller steps, how to... You, you know, when, when, when you see Federer playing, uh, and you see him running on a, on a running forehand, uh, and you see he doesn't run and goes with long steps. He goes like... And small steps. And that, that's something that we don't know. Uh, and that, that's, that, that, that helps me so much. What was it like to be playing well at Wimbledon? I was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> It was an amazing experience. Do you have any like special memories from the getting to the second week? Was I, mean, I assume Pato was with you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, getting to the second week of any Grand Slam, it was it was just crazy because uh, it's such a huge place, and there's so li- so there's not so many players left, and. Uh, it gets quiet. It's quiet, but it's it's just amazing. But uh, in Wimbledon, we had a lot of rain that year. So much rain. Uh, actually, that, that's why we played on uh, we played with David on court number two or quarterfinals match because they had to play the, all the matches. You played uh, Dalbandian on two. Of course. So two. you ne- you said it to me the other day when we said hello to each other. You never played on center court Wimbledon. Never. The only slam I didn't play on center court. That's kind of bittersweet. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, on one year, and, and one year I draw, I draw Andy Murray to play on the first round. So the schedule was out, and we played on center court. And then he had a wrist injury, and he pulled out. And, uh, you walked over. No, no, I had a lucky loser. Oh, lucky I, loser! I, so I played on court. Twenty-two. <laughs> Amazing. Um, the year that you got to six, who were you? What do you mean? Who were? Who were I? I mean, that's six is different than yeah. sixteen and sixty-two than. To be six is. Were you ever right there to get to one? Did you, was there any matches you could have won to have gotten to two or to three? No, not not no. to one or two, but uh, to number four. Yes, you could have uh, got to four. Yeah, uh, I. Wait, hold on. Go back to my first question. Like, yeah. Who were you at that moment in that that pocket, that little moment? I mean, uh, for me, I, I felt like the same person. I just. I just had a huge confidence when I was walking on the court that I could beat anyone. And, uh, and of course, the people, the fans, uh, when I walk around, they look different at me. But I never, I, I felt like I never changed. I, you know, I, I, I was always trying to be the same person. And of course, more responsibilities. 
uh, more pressure sometimes when you play different. Did you matches. get like softer though? You start making more money? Did uh, you get like a little no, bit? No, no, you stayed hard. Not, no, no, actually not. Actually, maybe, maybe sometimes uh, I played too many tournaments. Uh, you know, trying to, to improve and to to get better, and maybe I could have done the schedule a bit better. But uh, I mean, you, you sometimes you just don't think about it. You just go so fast. It happens so fast. And you're so young. And you're so young, and I, I sometimes I don't even remember how how I went. How I, good you yeah, were. Yeah, when 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 I was right there. But uh, in uh, at the end of '99, I towards the the indoor season, I was rank uh, I think it was 13 or 14 I I won Lyon which was probably my best tournament ever because I beat Guga I beat Grosjean and I beat Leighton uh, Huguet in the finals <laughs> uh, so I got to number 11 and then I had Paris Versi uh, I think I beat Santoro I beat Albert Costa and I, I was playing with Tommy Haas in the quarters and whoever won that match was kind of a shearing uh, spot in the in the last eight, and I, I ended up beating him six four in third. And uh, so after Paris, and I lost to Agas in the semis, and, and after that week I was number eight. So I went to to Stockholm because Stockholm was after Bercy at the time. And uh, if if I would have gotten to the semis or finals, I could have gone to number four. And I lost in the quarters in Stockholm. Two. Uh, to I think it was Magnus Norman, uh, Grand Slam winner. Uh, finalist, right? Oh, final. Oh, he, yeah, he, he, oh. he lost to Guga. Oh, he lost to Guga. Yeah. So, so I was close to be number four. But once you are there, once you have six, five, it's just a matter of. I mean, of course, I, I needed to 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 win a big event, Grand Slam. Boom. I mean, you you you, you would not get from six to one winning a two two fifty event. But I mean, you could have. I, I I needed like a big event to to make it up there. But of course, that was my next goal. Could you have done better? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yes. Really. I think a lot of guys I talk to, they say, "No, I did it. I left it all there." I mean, of course, I left it all there. I mean, I I was a, such a hard worker, and I was disciplined, and and I did everything I could. But I'm pretty sure I could have done better. Really? Yeah, I mean, I could have, you know, I, I was a player where with my slice, I hit a lot of flies, I could have maybe improved more my uh, my backhand. Uh, but then sometimes when I hit my backhand better, the, the, the ball was coming back faster. And, you know, so many different things that, that, that could have happened. But I could have done better, I think. Are you proud of your career? Yeah, 100%. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10 ball scramble. I just say it, you say what comes in your mind. Oh, okay. Favorite tournament? Roland Garros. Why? I think maybe because uh, when I grew up and I saw Andres Gomez lifting the trophy, I said, that, that's where I want to go. Favorite city? Paris. Favorite player growing up? Gomez and Lendl. Favorite player now? Is there anyone you love to watch play? He retired a few weeks ago, Roger. Really? Yeah. More than Rafa. To watch, yes. Yeah. To watch, yes. Um, are there any women? We didn't really talk about women's tennis today. Is there any women you like to watch play? Uh, I love to watch Justin Henning. 
You love Justine yeah. Hennon. Yeah. She had she had a beautiful game. Do you do you keep your eye on any women's tennis? Uh, I do because because uh, like of, of the commentating. What's your so, what's your opinion of the quality of women's tennis at the moment? I think uh, it's going to happen a bit to what happened to to what's happening to men's tennis. You know, with Serena, uh, Barty. Yeah, going out. Uh, you have of course of, of course Iga. Iga is playing unbelievable tennis. What happened to Barty is something difficult to understand. But uh, I think it's a nice level. They're hitting the ball hard. Your best win? Quarterfinals of Australian Open against Cuchera. Cal Cuchera. Yeah. You played well. I played well. It's not, not maybe the best, my best victory towards a player, but because of the situation. Your favorite forehand? Uh, Fernando Gonzalez. Backhand. Malbandian. Serve. Sampras. And, you, and who's you guys? Have your favorite volleys? I would say Edberg or Rafter. Those are those are good choices. Uh, Rajiv Ram. Oof, Rajiv, he's got a great career. I mean, uh, well, he got to one at thirty-eight. We I, think that's incredible. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I did I play Rajiv on singles once. I think I did. I mean, his serve was like watching Sampras. The exact yeah. same serve. Exact same serve. Uh, the most cavalier thing you ever did with prize money. The most, like, right out of the office. Did you ever, like, buy a Ferrari or something? A Ferrari? No, not a Ferrari. A Porsche. I bought a Porsche, a 911 Carrera. After you won what? Uh, you don't remember? Was, uh, I, think it, I think it was after the quarters of Wimbledon. Quarters of Wimbledon. Yeah. Bought the, bought the car. Yeah. And actually, it was Patricia's fault. He said, you should have a, a Porsche Carrera convertible in Miami. I said, why? Yeah, you should have it. Okay, let's go. <laughs> let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could make a change in tennis with just a swing of the racket, no aggravation, what would you do? Oof, that's a tough question. Um... I, I would uh, try to do something to give better conditions to the guys that are playing futures and challengers. You know, I think the guys that uh, are on the top playing Grand Slams, Masters 1000, they're winning, they're winning good money. Uh, but I think uh, the guys that are starting playing futures and challengers, uh, they could maybe make a bit more you know, maybe not to to make a great living but not to lose money at the end of the year so so i think the grand slams you know this thing called the grand slam development fund where they give money to 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 the tournaments i think they could do a much better job and uh, and help this these guys that are starting there's the disparity in the prize money is a big is getting worse and is a bigger bigger problem. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not saying that the guys that are starting playing challengers or, or futures they need to make a lot of money, but at least, yeah, I mean, they're losing money. So they, you have to maybe try to 
to be. And the tennis is so tough. And tennis is so tough when you start. I mean, it's, uh, and, and sometimes the conditions of the tournament. I mean, you come to this tournament and you're in a beautiful club and nice conditions. And sometimes you go to some tournaments where horrible conditions, the setup is not nice. And for the players mentally, that's tough. My man, I can't thank you enough. This was a pleasure. Every time I get the ch- chance to talk to a, a top tenor, you know, it's always such a great time. But to come here into your hometown to do this was really a thrill. Good luck with uh, the rest of the back end of the year, and hopefully we'll see you another time. Yeah, sure. I'll see you around. And it was uh, really a pleasure and a surprise to see you here. Now, what's the I, best I, thing on the menu here at the club? What's the best uh, thing? The ceviches or no? Ceviche, but you have to try the bolón. Have you tried the bolón? I don't think I can handle the bolón. It's heavy, though, right? I ah. mean. Wait, when do you eat the bologna? You eat it for breakfast? For breakfast. You do? Yeah. You eat it? Bologna with two fried eggs, man. You have to try it. But don't you only eat that after you're hungover? Or you no, eat that no, no, no. You have to eat it, man. The bologna. It's, bologna. And that's, it's the green banana. Yeah, it's the green banana. The green plantain, yeah. Mixed. Yeah, mashed. Mashed. Uh, mixed with uh, uh, cheese or whatever and then fried. Do you have it with a chicharron? Chicharron, of course. My man. Cheese and chicharron. <laughs> Listen, Nicholas Lopenti, muchas gracias por todos. You are released. Thank you. Thank you. Huge thank you to Nicholas Lopenti. Thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at sergiotacchini.com. And thank you to Diodora. Diodora is the official shoe of the podcast. See them at diodora.com and be on the lookout for more to come. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. Special thank you to Vicente Munoz Sr. and Jr. And thank you to the Guayaquil Tennis Club for hosting us. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro and you are released.